It's a Tuesday evening. The dial is 97.3 City FM. And today we have a mix of issues that will equally annoy you and intrigue you and probably at some point sadden you. You're welcome to City Trends. My name is Philip Sean and this is City Trends. Yes, indeed, a show that is dedicated to technology conversations and, of course, making sure we are technology literate as a population. What a show we have for you today. But remember, the show is proudly sponsored by First National Bank. How can we help you? And ZPay. Freedom to choose, express, and transact. Simply dial star 270 hash right now and you and your trusted remittance to mobile money wallet partner are into new company. Yes, ZPay is currently a licensed mobile money company. You can now have the freedom to receive your money your money transfer from abroad directly into your ZPay mobile money wallet. It's basically freedom to do a number of things, including cashing in at agents online with Visa card or from any third-party mobile money wallet. You can cash out from all agents. You can buy airtime for all networks in Ghana and other parts of the world. You can transfer to all wallets, pay bills and transfer into any bank account without having to link them. Look, the freedom is all over the place. All you need to do is remember to dial star 270 hash right now, irrespective of the network, and sign up for ZPay Mobile Money Wallet. If you have any questions, simply call the number 0302-905-7700 or you can simply WhatsApp 050-156-7073. Also, visit their website, myzpay.com as well. And remember that the bank that is here to help you get through all your financial issues and give you the financial solutions that will put you at ease is first national bank and they have a simple question for you how can we help you all you need to do is just get in touch with first national first national bank download the mobile app today and get a banking the right and correct way with first national bank on the show today we have only one issue we have a big question data breach now i am sure a number of you came across some stories over the weekend or received some whatsapp messages having to do with the listing of all the voters in this country all um 17 million or 13 million or so of us now the format in which it came um worried a number of people and so we kind of wanted to find out was it a data breach was it not a data breach and what exactly is going on with that one? Are we to be worried? Or is it just we fussing about nothing because the law instructs, you know, that the Electoral Commission can basically do what it needs to do? We'll be getting into all those. We'll be looking at it from the data protection side of things. We'll be looking at it from the cybersecurity side of things or the software engineer side of things. We'll be looking at it also from 
the industry and from a global p- perspective, what is happening globally and why Ghanaians or Ghana needs to pay closer attention to some of these issues. And we'll be hearing a very interesting voice from the chairperson of the Electoral Commission, which worries me. But we will be getting to all of that. You can be a part of the show with your um, with your messages. WhatsApp number is 0549-986-996. The number once again is 549 0549- Nine eight six nine nine six. That is is the WhatsApp number you can reach us on and interact with us. Alternatively, you can reach us on Twitter using the hashtag City Trends. That is C I T I T R E N D S. And so, to get the ball rolling, um, there is something that I just wanted to read to you briefly, even before we got all caught up in the show so a data breach is the intentional or unintentional release of secure or private confidential information to an untrusted environment other terms for this phenomenon include unintentional information disclosure data leak information leakage and also data spill i'll take that definition again a data breach is the intentional or unintentional release of secure or private confidential information to an untrusted environment. Okay, now with that out of the way, the chairperson of the Electoral Commission, Jean Mensah, has justified the decision to publish the voters' register ahead of the December polls. And truthfully, she is justified to do that. She explains the commission is enjoined by law to make public the details of persons on the register. The publication of the register on the EC's website has generated widespread discussions and concerns over a possible breach of data protection laws. But speaking at a training workshop for journalists organized by the GJA, Jean Mensah said the list, which has since been pulled down from the EC's website, take note of this, and all of this stressing is just me, will be republished after the system has been embedded with enhanced security features. Listen to the Electoral Commissioner. Systems are very secure. And the data, the register that was put out, we are enjoined by law to publish the voters' register. Indeed, the law CI 127 requires that the provisional voters' register is published on our website. That same law states that the final register is published in a manner in which the Commission deems fit. And we are well aware that the ID card has come to be used for other, you know, activities. But for the Commission's point of view, that card is provided for voting purposes only. And in this era of transparency and openness, you know, the Commission believes that it is important to publish the register. And that's why the register was published, to enable citizens check their details and Once it was published, there were some issues with the functionality of the, 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 way, the format in which it had been put there. And so the IT was called to include and introduce more systems into it to make it more functional. We intend to upload it in the next few days. Now, when the nation's electoral roll 
is published via a Google Drive of the Electoral Commission or whoever's account it was. Does that constitute a secured environment? Questions like these we'll be trying to decipher on the show today. And I'd like to introduce my guests. First is Mike Perry Atara, who is a software engineer with Walulel. Um, we'll be talking to him about basically what is a data breach and trying to understand the implications of this um, these incidents, as has been indicated um, by the Electoral Commissioner, that um, enhanced security features will now be put in place um, after for the release. Kawasaki is the president of Isaka Ghana, and we'll be talking to him about global trends and you know what this generally means. Patricia Edusai Poku will be joining us. She's the executive director of the Data Protection Commission. She's talking about, you know, whether all of this constitutes a data breach in a certain sense, whether it is in line with Ghana's data protection um, laws, and also educating us, you know, um, about data protection in Ghana generally, because I know some of you have some questions about that. We'll also be speaking with a lawyer as well who will be diving into the data protection law um kofi Shira, he's a private legal pr practitioner he'll be joining us um for the discussion let me start off with mike uh, mike um having listened to the electoral commissioner and with everything that you know you realized over the weekend with the um, information that was out there from a software engineer point of view what are your thoughts about that i think it is very irresponsible let me put it in a lighter note because publishing on Google Drive, I'm really saddened she mentioned that they are to publish it in a means they didn't fit. And being saddened because if they feel being published on Google Drive was the best at that moment, then I think we are in a deep problem as a country. How deep is it? Because, for instance, the information that was shared can actually be used to target people negatively for instance someone can just create a fake id card the role is there the age is there the polling station information everything is there all i need is to just change the picture and you have a new voter id card which mm. is very dangerous looking at the country in which we are now because mm. it's very very sensitive times yeah. obviously but then i mean someone could say because the register is you know interconnected sort of you know, if you probably show up at some place and you're not the person, you'll be easily identified and you can be taken out, you know, or you can be identified as someone with a fake ID or something like that. What what would, from a software engineer point of view, what would be your reaction to that? So now I don't think that system is really in place. Hmm. So she even mentioned it hmm. until they have a secure means to do that. Hmm. So I'm just taking from her where that hmm. is not in place. So right. it is really a breach on our trust to the EC. Right. Because, and Carl, I want to bring you in from, from where you sit as, as a body that basically is into data security and things like that. What does, what does all of this mean for you from, from an industry point of view? Okay, so um, I think the first thing you want to look at is the fact that putting out the register, and I, what I tried to do was to look at it, uh, where you put a person's full name. You know, full name actually constitutes personally identifiable information, right. which by law you are uh, required to protect. That's the first thing. 
And then you have the voter ID, which is an ID that people use for many things. Absolutely. Now, indeed, the EC uh, chair said that the EC ID is not supposed to be used for anything apart from voting. However, we find ourselves in a situation where the Ghana card is not ready. Mm -hmm. And so people are using the, um, the EC ID for bank account opening mm -hmm. for other transactions. And indeed, people use the same ID to register for the Ghana card. Right. And so clearly, it is accepted or an acceptable medium of identification. Mm -hmm. Then you have the age. So when you put these three things together, and you, plus the, the, I think you have uh, the, I didn't see the sex. But polling station. But if you put all these things together, you are actually able to identify a person in detail. Hmm. So by law, you are supposed to protect this uh, PII, personal identifying information. And in our case, we've put it out there. Now, the EC has a right to put this information out. Absolutely. However, what I think they should have done was to have looked at it from a risk perspective. What hmm. actually is happening in the system? What are people using the identification for? And what is their mandate? And then try to come up with solutions or put it out in a way that does not compromise a person's ID. Mm. So that's where the problem is. And this is by law. You know, you, you look across the globe. Everybody tries to pro uh, protect the identity or the identifiable information mm. of citizens. And that's something that we got wrong in this particular case. Would we, and I mean, that's the basic premise of today's show. Would you consider this to be a data breach? Considering the fact that the EC is legally um allowed to publish the names of the persons within the jurisdiction who are going to vote would you consider it a data breach so, i.e when you look at the format in which it was presented mm -hmm. the platform or the environment in which it was presented would you consider and the fact that right here the electoral commissioner does indicate that it will be republished with enhanced security features. Would you consider this a data breach in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, it, I mean, there's no two ways about that. It is a breach. Mm. And even going by the definition which you read, where you said intentional or unintentional right. release of, you know, private information. So that clearly is a breach. Okay? So, so that's that that we there's no equivocation uh, about it. We we breached the protection of uh, personally identifiable information as it's understood globally. Let's yeah. get onto the phone line now and speak to Kofi Usunshira, who is a private legal practitioner. Um, he was on the show a couple of weeks ago um, to talk also about you know data protection and the law, especially, and try to give us. A, an understanding from a legal perspective of what exactly is going on. Um, Kofi, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Real, real pleasure having you um, once again. Um, I'm sure you've been following the issues having to do with the publication of the um, the register, the electoral roll, um, making rounds on social media, sorry, on social messaging platforms um, over the weekend, um, on WhatsApp mainly. Um, with people, you know, having access to it and reviewing and checking, you know, their polling station and everything. From where you sit legally, was there anything wrong with it? Was there a data breach in any way, shape or form? Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Philip, for having me. Well, first and foremost, I think we need to place a number of things in perspective. That the Data Protection Act of 2012 um, sets out for us in very clear perspective, what will constitute a data breach, and so on and so forth. Now, there are various players within the data um, ecosystem. You'd have, typically, data processors, and 
data processes and what they do is captured very clearly under Section 18 of the of the um, Data Protection Act. Now, what is important is also to state that the law is very clear that entities um, that perform specific functions through an enactment or by authorization from any form of law do not have their actions, if you like, for want of a better way of putting it, governed directly by the dictates of the Data Protection Act. To this extent, what it means is that we cannot purport to, um, to suggest that the Electoral Commission, uh, which is set up by an enactment, and it's almost, um, for want of a better way of putting it here again, it performs statutory functions, has breached uh, uh, the data laws of, of the country under the Data Protection Act. So, so first and foremost, just to be able to clarify, um, uh, you know, other uh, other parts of this argument, we can't say there is a breach under our laws. Now, what is also important that the electoral commission itself is seized with um, the, the the capacity to to make electoral rules very public. Now, this is already happening. In many jurisdictions, and in Ghana, for example, um, then the, the CI 91, which sets out the functions of, uh, you know, how elections are conducted and so on, allows the Electoral Commission to to publish uh, the provisional um, electoral rule and so on. Now, the laws allow for the Electoral Commission to even go, a, you know, a step further to allow for this uh, publication to be on their website. Now, to this extent, you would wonder um, whether the framers of the law anticipated the very recent phenomenon of cybersecurity and um, data exploitation, etc. So, um, in law, in fact, there has been no breach. But one would wonder whether the election in performing its functions, which is within the framework of the law, took into consideration what could um, be, what could precipitate from this uh, move that they, they, they've made. And of course, the Constitution of the Republic under mm-hmm. um, Article 296. Um, requires that that persons who have big, you know, um, who have discretion, discretionary power, um, do not exercise their discretionary power arbitrarily or capriciously. And so, one would wonder whether um, enough thought has gone into into this process. But um, just to answer your question very directly, no, there's been no breach as far as the law is concerned. So legally, there's nothing wrong, which at least is comforting from a legal perspective. But like you're saying, quite apart from the legal side of things, there is the consideration of personal information of the voters of this country being made generally available for anyone to use in any way that they choose. Yeah, Philip, absolutely. And that is the position of the law. At least um, from the position of the law, 
can, we can look at other jurisdictions and what happens. So, for example, in India, you'd realize that there, there's also a publication of the electoral rule on the website of the, of the electoral commission. Only that in India, um, the information that is on the website is only queried by uh, a voter by inputting their voter's ID number. It brings you only your data for you to verify. Now, um, in, in Ghana, um, and then again, I suspect that um, the, the responsibilities and functions of the electoral commission under, under the various electoral laws would be interpreted by the uh, electoral commission, uh, or the electoral commission. So if somebody decides to um, to seek judicial interpretation, they would interpret the laws to suit um, their functions, because the laws require two things. First and foremost, that voters have the opportunity to verify their data within the electoral role, and secondly, to also verify um, to the extent that if you are not of age and you are not qualified to be a voter, I should be able to access the same information to be able to determine that um, um, an issue must be raised as far as it is concerned. Now, for these two functions to happen, then it's important that the electoral rule is made public. Already, the electoral rule is made public. Only um, technology sort of now is, is setting in. But then, um, from a technology standpoint, you want to consider whether you could have geographically um, blocked um, um, access to the information, whether you can choose Google route, is the Google Docs route is the best option available to the Electoral Commission, whether, essentially whether other alternatives could have been explored uh, besides using Google Docs and essentially making the information available and everybody being able to download it, and whether the amount of data sets that were, uh, were available on the, on the uh, Google documents um, uh, were, were useful, were necessary. Um, so, for example, you are inputting um, voter's ID number and all that. And all this, well, all this information in order to the benefit of the, of the prospective voter. So, I guess a lot of discretion must be exercised and exercised within the law in a way that um, you don't find abuse, you don't think that anybody is just, you know, being capricious and, and, and so on. Kofi, would you consider this a breach of the public trust in any way, shape or form? Well, I think this could have been done more responsibly. And I'm, I'm just I'm listening to your intro. I, I heard you... Um, talk about that I mean well I had the voice of the EC chair and and the position that the EC has on the on, on the matter I hope that um, while they you know they prepare to come back again with um, a digitized version of the electoral rule that it will be done taking into consideration all the threats I mean Philip cyber criminals these days have found ways to monetize information of of various people and they do that under under the you know what they call the back nets and you know all forms of uh, of channels and um, people buy such data and pay with with bitcoins and and all sorts of things. So there are a lot there are a lot of cyber threats in, you know and in, in in this era of cyber war in 2016 for example 
there is um, information, um, uh, you know, to the extent that hackers claimed that uh, there was a leaked voter database in the U.S., the United States, which included names and addresses and age and, and you know, even political affiliations of over 186 million voters or so in the U.S. And um, and essentially, they were, it was voter, a voter list on seal, you know. So in, in w- w- having this at the back of our minds that there's a cyber war ongoing and every country is taking very active steps. And last week on your show, you discussed thoroughly the Cyber Security Act. Um, so when we are now setting up um, cyber security um, uh, policies and determining that certain institutions constitute critical information infrastructure, etc., within the, the ambit of the act, you would wonder if um, going this route would be the best um, route for an electoral commission. And especially the type that we have in Ghana, having supervised successful elections you know, um, every four years and so on. So I think there's a lot we would have wished to see in this process, I'm not sure whether it flouts entirely public trust, but personally, and um, stakeholders I've spoken to would have wished for a lot more to be taken into consideration before something of the sort happens. Kofi, we are really grateful. Kofi Owusu Insura is a private legal practitioner joining us, giving us the legal side of the conversation having to do with the possibility of a data breach with regards um, the release of the the um, the names in the electoral roll. Um, Carl, yeah. your thoughts your thoughts on the submission by Kofi. You know, I think that Kofi actually uh, sums what I have in mind. The first thing is that the EC is actually doing what it's mandated to, to do, do exactly. by law. Okay. Yeah. However, what the EC did not do was to take into consideration the wider uses of the uh, information. The information yeah. plus the fact that putting that information out in the way in which it did. So Greater Accra alone is about 1.9 gig. If you try to download the whole country, you are doing, you know, several gigabytes of data. That is information that, uh, you know, to uh, somebody from the security perspective, we consider a treasure trove of information. So such information should not be put out in the way it it was done. Um, Like he said, you know, the information is supposed to be made available publicly. So you can go to the website and do it in a way that the the end user who wants to check puts in his um, EC uh, his voter's ID number and then it will uh, voter's ID number plus other information and then he gets to see what he what he wants to uh, see so your voter's ID number plus your maybe the date of birth or mm-hmm. something so, mm-hmm. but that is true an interface and then for the political party so the EC is looking at things from two perspectives it's looking at the political party side as well as the general public. public and for the political parties they can actually give secure copies of the information so you can actually uh, the, there are ways of securing pdfs that cannot be shared it's only available to the uh, political parties and then they get to uh, assess the information mm. now i don't know you know because it, it was one of those things which was forwarded to everybody so i was sitting up and i saw it and then that's when i went to look at it now was the google drive link was it shared to just the political parties or was it shared publicly? You know, so was it one mm. of those things that anybody at all could go and find? Mm. Because once you have the link, then you're able to share. So those are questions which need to be answered. Uh, and if you get answers to it, I think that it kind of solves the problem. Now, 
from all technical perspectives, I mean, the law is the law, uh, so there's nothing we can do about the law. But what it shows is that there is a bit of a gap right. between how we treat data and how organizations process the data, you know, mm. how they handle the, the data. So the data processor, data controller type of issues need to be looked at so that it, 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 the, the change has to be said that we all recognize that whatever data we have might not only be used by, by just our institution, but other institutions might have it. And then we are also supposed to protect the information of the end users, you know, mm. the, the citizens, because this is clearly private information that is not supposed to go out. Mm. DVLA is using it, uh, we're using it for the SIM card. We talk about SIM card uh, fraud and that being a, a big issue. And so making this information available, clearly, it's not... And I mean, when you, when you think about, you know, issues like social engineering, yeah. these bits of information, like, like, you know, critics and, you know, reviewers have basically said, this is a goldmine for someone who is using social engineering as a way of either scamming or defrauding someone. Mike, from, from, from your perspective as well, what were some of the other options possibly? Um, I mean, yes, if Google Drive was the only option... What were the, some of the things that could have been put in place? What other options could have been considered from your perspective? And um, listen, we are going to be speaking with um, the executive director of the Data um, Protection Commission in just a bit also to get her perspective about all of this. And I've received some of your questions that I'll be directing to her as well. So, Mike. All right. So, I think they've employed some of them so we have ussd solution we can even use sms for instance when you register a sim card you're able to validate whether it was successful by i think by texting mm. to 400 so i think those are some of the innovative ways they could have handled that just as kofi mentioned so i'm supposed to just know okay i'm checking whether my information is still there so when i enter my voter's id maybe you send me back my data to confirm that yes you are on the voter rule and these are the information you provided to us so i think just as uh, mr sakim said it's just a breach of our trust that we are providing you with this data trusting that you are going to secure it and protect it but it, this is the case where it is shared as a treasure trove for people that can use it in other for ways. other things for other things generally and um, so yes yeah, so the the chairperson of the Electoral Commission today um, at an event basically indicated... Now, Carl, one of the things that worried me was the, the fact that, first of all, it was published and then it was taken off the website. I mean, I'm thinking that, yes, it's been already published. You don't have a choice. There's nothing else you can do. But you can put in at least some security measures. It seems like the commission does realize, even though it knows that you know, it has the law backing it. Should we consider it as a sign of good faith, the fact that they have taken it off the website, for example, or withdrawn the information? You know, I, I think that every responsible institution listens to uh, criticism and listens mm. to feedback. Mm. And so if you take the EC taking this information out, for instance, um, and I'm talking about gigabytes of uh, such uh, precious information, Clearly, uh, they are reacting to what the public or the public sentiment. 
and then coming up with uh, different ways of making the same information available. Mm. Um, does that mean that the information is not there? People have downloaded it uh, because I looked at it. You know, you just open the file, you can search and you find all the information that you want. Mm. So, it's, I mean, but the thing is that what they want to do is to minimize the, the, the harm that's been done. So I think that from a, 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 a PR, not only PR, but a corporate social responsibility point of view, they've done what has to be done. Uh, but I think that it should serve as a lesson, you know, mm. because basically if all institutions, state institutions, private institutions, when we're doing this type of thing, we need to think through and look at all the use cases of the information and also the security first. Because security is supposed to be by design. So you do it right from the get go. Mm -hmm. It's the first thing you consider in coming up with any type of uh, data uh, processing type of um, activity. And I'll be coming to yourself and Mike basically speaking about cautions for institutions across the country who are collecting data, how they process the data, and how they interpret the data as well. I'll be coming to you in a bit. Um, we have on the line Executive Director of the Data Protection Commission, um, uh, Madam Patricia Edusei-Poku, to also offer us some perspective about this particular issue. Good evening, um, Madam, and thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. And good evening. Yes. So from, from where you sit as the executive director of the Data Protection Commission, um, what are your thoughts about, you know, the stories and the links and the, um, the WhatsApp messages that were, you know, circulating on social messaging platforms over the course of the weekend um, with basically the entire electoral role available for people to, you know, access what what are your thoughts about that so from my personal perspective situations like this uh, promote data protection it creates conversation and discussion of the subject as you can see has happened a lot over the weekend it helps us to uh, hold institutions accountable for what the law requires them to uh, do and also it brings the thought home that individuals have now rights under this law this is the first time that individuals are now empowered about the data that is collected about them to be processed. Gone are the days when, when institutions collect data, it belongs to those institutions. These days, uh, data uh, subjects, which is you and I, are empowered to participate in decision-making around the data that is collected uh, from us. When you look at our law, the Data Protection Act, uh, 2012 at 843 of Ghana, various sections of the law uh, talks about different aspects and different responsibilities that data controllers have. This weekend, we have seen that analyzed in so many ways. We've looked at the principle of uh, uh, data subject participation. Ghanaian data subjects have really participated in how their data is being processed. We have uh, challenged the state of school by looking at the data controller who has collected our data and asked them to actually enable transparency. There are various uh, aspects of enabling transparency. First is that we have mandated, the public has now insisted that the illegitimate grounds must be explained. And we've had an explanation of the legitimate grounds. Beyond the legitimate grounds, we want fairness and transparency. That is, is achieved by... Uh, uh, the, the collector of the data explaining the purposes from the point of collection. At the time that you're collecting the data, you explain to the data subject why you're collecting the data, who have access to the data, how you will transmit the data, where you will save the data, 
and 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 how long you're keeping the data and so on and so forth. That enables a complete holistic understanding about what you're doing with the data. That is the definition of transparency. And then we say that it's fair to the person because then they are fully informed to now object or co- uh, uh, complain or, or or demand some action that protects their rights and their privacy. But in this, this case, in this case, all of that at play. Mm. Mm, and and it's great. There are two things that there's one thing that you said that was very instructive. The fact that citizens are empowered to have a certain level of control. But the question is, yes. do we? Because it doesn't seem like we do. If someone is sitting in Savlugu right now, or probably at the weekend, and someone happened to type in their name, their name pops up, their age pops up, their voting, their polling station number pops up. How do they have control over that? Well, the beauty of what has happened this weekend is that it doesn't take all 17 million of the uh, electorate speaking for for something to happen. It just takes a percentage of the electorate showing concern about or, or, or unrest. The whole idea of data protection is that data controllers must meet the minimum, the reasonable expectation of the data subject. Whether you are uh, acting by uh, a legal mandate or you are just a collector with consent, you must be looking proactively to meet the minimum reasonable requirement of data subject. People, if they don't normally expect you to put a data out like that, they will show consent. Are you saying that everyone who has agitated this weekend has a full knowledge of data protection and their rights? No. But something about what has been put out has made them uncomfortable. And they have is, spoken out. Is that where it ends? The important, thing, the important thing is that there are actual principles in the law that empowers the individual legally now. So one of the principles is the principle of data subject participation. It's in there. The step specification, the data minimization, all of that has been triggered this weekend. The purpose should be explained. Uh, has, uh, should be explained. Data minimization is using and, and applying only the minimum necessary to achieve the purpose. People have discussed at length whether the information put out is the absolute minimum necessary. But there, ma- ma'am, if I just may, there is, there, is, there is a very big difference between people asking questions and your data being manipulated and used in a way that you have no knowledge of. The, I mean, beyond showing consent, because that's what we've done. We've just shown consent. That's just one side of the argument. The other side of the argument is that people's information have been made available in ways that probably they had no knowledge of. And we, I mean, we spoke to a, a, legal, a, a private legal practitioner who basically says, I mean, the EC is enjoined to basically carry out the action that it was supposed to carry out. And so I guess my, 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 question, my question and concern to you is, you know, as, as, as the executive director of the Data Protection Commission, like I know probably legally the EC didn't do anything wrong, but I mean, what happens to the person who, like you said, has no knowledge of the Data Protection Act, has no knowledge of their information being made freely available to anybody outside the jurisdiction of Ghana, for example, having access to the information just because they wanted to cast their ballot? So we are continuously educating the public. And the of our law to stand in the steps of the market 
I engage and both public institutions and private and third institutions alike. Hold them responsible under the law. So we have commenced discussions with the EC to look at their mandate. And then we are now compelling the EC to not just focus on their mandate, but to trigger the uh, review of complementary and relevant laws in addition to their mandate. When you read that mandate, and which uh, people have quoted uh, a lot, they say that they must do what they deem appropriate. Deem appropriate when you discuss it at length, you see that the writers of the law expect the user or the, the, the institution that owns the mandate to be the subject matter expert. And as you uh, apply the law, you see that the application of the law moves away from the definition and interpretation to practical application, the business speak of the law, means that you should do certain things. That's why, in addition to having the legal mandate, policies and procedures and organization me- organizational measures apply. You find this in Section 28 of our law, that you have to have appropriate security measures and organizational measures that forces you to think about the practical uh, need to do in addition to just delivering your mandate. So you should look at what other laws apply and then apply that with your law. Has that been done, uh, or we will come out with the outcomes of our discussion with the East to see how far they went to look at other areas that apply. But this, this means that now public institutions and large institutions that have high volume and, and sensitive data cannot just focus on their law. They must look mm. at other measures to add so that they are effectively delivering their mandate as subject matter experts of their of their service. And that includes applying relevant policies, security measures, looking at the space in which you share, how you share, you share, uh, you share the mode of transmission, who the third parties are, the retention policies that you must give, how you confer your law to the external partners that you share, the, how you confer your legal obligation on the external partners who have access to the data. You just don't put it out. You have to give them some instructions about how they hold and also process the data on your behalf. Did, of this has come out did the EC do anything wrong? If I may just ask, from a Data Protection Commission standpoint, did the EC do anything wrong? What I'll say to that, so far, with where we are with our discussions, I won't say they've done anything wrong. However, they haven't exhausted they haven't exhausted the effort that they need to have exhausted to be fully accountable. And we are working with them. We are still under, uh, discussing uh, the, 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 the issues that are coming up. And the EC eventually will, will obviously put, up, put out a statement about their position on the public concern. We are discussing with them. Duly, duly noted. Um, there was a question. There's a question... Um, that I, and I, I hope you don't mind my asking. Some of our viewers have yeah, some questions. Sure. They were asking if the uh, the data com- data protection commission, in some ways, offers um, advice um, to state institutions with regards some of these possible quote unquote breaches or, um, or 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 something like that. Do you in any way? do that for the state in, um, state agencies? Uh, that's a very, that's an excellent question. In October this year, from 1st October to 31st March, we have put out an amnesty period 
to allow uh, uh, institutions that haven't yet connected with the Data Protection Commission to come and register as required under Section 46.3 of our Act. You need to register with the Commission. We see you on our radar. And then in sectors and in groups, we invite you for training and awareness. We have three drop-in sessions that we do with data controllers and even with data subjects that we help them to understand the obligations that they have under the law. Before COVID, people were coming into the office for free drop-in sessions. Now we are doing online webinars where people just find out, I'm a data controller, what are my obligations, what am I supposed to do? And we do these sessions for free. If you don't register, we don't get to know who you are, what you have, what you're collecting. So between now and 31st March, it's an amnesty for people to register who have owed us their registration from uh, 2012 when the law became effective. You pay once, and then you are in sync with us. The roadmap for compliance that tells you all the key things you need to do to remain accountable with the people. Post, post the amnesty period, which is from first week in April, those who have failed to do it will be uh, doing very, very serious enforcement to ensure that uh, we get as many uh, institutions on the, on the commission's radar as possible to be able to engage and improve the status in the country. Adam from Volta region says, is Miss is Eduse Poku saying that because people do not have knowledge of data protection, they should suffer the consequences of an institution they trust with the information? That's not what I'm saying at all, Adam. The commission is standing in your face and challenging the status quo and discussing with institutions that haven't fully met your expectations to do what is necessary to meet your reasonable expectations. So on the contrary, we are actually speaking and fighting on behalf of the masses, the people of Ghana. But but that seems to be after the fact. The fact is that the information has been downloaded by too many people, some in Ghana, some outside Ghana, using it for whatever they please and choose. Unfortunately, globally, in the whole world, no one will say that there's a 100% compliance anywhere. There's always uh, a room for error. There's but this is the whole electoral role. This is the whole okay. electoral role. The whole yeah. electoral role. It happens. I, I, I believe yeah. it does. Yes, I, I believe it does. I, I, I see where the possible conflict is. Because, I mean, it, it's just worrying from a cybersecurity point of view you know, the, the implications and the possibilities of what people can do with this sort of information. And so, it's, it's kind of worrying. And so, and that's why I was, for I example, said, asking... I, mean, I, cred- I, I said yesterday at some radio stations, and I'll say it again today, it's not unusual for the electoral register to be published. Many countries publish their electoral register. Yes, that, that is true. But then, once again the environment in which it is published, the format in which it is published, the manner in which people are able to access the information, that is what the difference is. And that is what I think... You are absolutely right. And these are the areas, the specific things that we are discussing with the EC. The security measures, the methods, the policies, the organizational measures. This is what we are assessing right now. And, And every time something like this happens, we can only but draw the lessons and implement the best practice to ensure that it never happens like that again. Or if it has to happen, that it meets your reasonable expectations. Meaning that the detail that is put out is not of concern to the people. We see other methods and other ways that we can 
achieve the same purpose with with data minimization. That this has come out this time, it has become an issue because there's increased awareness of the, the advancement of technology and its application and the use. Going to this way, they will uh, just print these these uh, electoral registers. People can go flick through privately. Now it's online, it's available, it's easily accessible, and it goes viral very quickly. And so it's an issue now. So maybe it's time we, we review the data that is put out and its implications and its ability to cause harm and distress as we are seeing. But this, this, these things must happen for the wake-up learning. To, so we are working with the EC to, to really reanalyze the mandates that we have and to see how they can assure Madam, finally, if I if I just may ask as well, um, in terms of you know state institutions, in terms of um, um, some companies as well, because we know it's not just state institutions who um, sometimes take data of you know persons and individuals, but um, in terms of education for state institutions, once again, and even non-state um, actors. What is the level of consultation that you are having with them, even after the COVID, so that they will understand what it means to be data compliant or data protection compliant, and you know where you can also sort of fill up the the, the holes that exist within okay, the system. Okay, so we, we haven't let the COVID stop us at all. We have carried on training professionals in the system. So there's a general awareness that we give that I've told you about talking sessions, but then we are actually creating privacy professionals in the ecosystem in this jurisdiction. So we train people to become data protection professionals. From 2017, when there was none in our system, now we have over 200 practitioners, specifically in the large public institutions and private sector, uh, uh, large processes. And also then individuals have brought themselves forward and we have trained them. These are professionals who have understood the full uh, uh, requirement of the data protection law and how to implement the privacy program. And they are now working and placing in private public institutions, implementing a privacy program uh, uh, to ensure that the institution becomes accountable to the public. We haven't stopped there. After two years, when they do renew their license, we don't take it to a license. Every institution who has come to renew recently will tell you they have had to give us a full report of their status of compliance. Answering, using our report templates and giving us a report of how they meet the requirements of the law. If we don't feel that um, we reviewing their compliance report that, that it meets uh, the expectation of mission or that it, it aligns more with the, the, the volume and sensitivity of the data they hold, we give them the license until they up the game and compliance. And a few institutions have been uh, suspended like that, and they are working on uh, on improving their status of compliance in order to get a renewed license. So we are really engaging data controllers in the nation uh, uh, to up their understanding and Ms. Patricia Dusaipoku, Executive Director of the Data Protection Commission, thank you so much for joining us with your thoughts this evening. We really appreciate your time and the insight that you've provided. Thank you. Thank you so much. Carl, Mike, um, we have a couple of minutes to wrap up the show. Um, firstly, thoughts quickly, and then also um, just a word of caution and a word of note. 
you know, um, to other institutions who are collecting data, who are processing data, who are using data of the average in individual. So, first of all, your reaction to that, and then if there's a word of caution you have, you know, for people who take data and process data. Okay, so I, I think that the first thing I'd like to say is that, um, you know, once you do automated data processing, there are uh, two things we need to uh, consider. And this is basically just the principles of information security, which uh, here we're looking at the confidentiality of the information. So if I keep your information, I'm mandated to ensure that it is confidential. Now, EC is supposed to publish information, but the way the data is published they has to be taken into consideration. The second thing you have to look at is the integrity of the information, uh, the data that has been collected, making sure that it doesn't change state and, um, and nothing malicious happens to it. And the, f the final one is availability. So we called it the CIA triad of information security. This has to be factored into the information security policy of the Electoral Commission. But then going beyond that, you know, because here we have what the law says, and I think that the lawyer um, aptly, aptly stated what the law's position is, has to be looked at in context of, uh, of, the, of what information security principles are. And so in this case, we probably might have to get national cyber security, uh, data protection, uh, together with all, we need to sit and look at these things carefully and try to harmonize it just so that institutions can still go about doing what their work is and still look at protecting the, uh, the information the, uh, the personally identifiable information of citizens. Uh, you can't stop the work from going on, but at least we can protect the information because the information is not only being used here. People actually have malicious uh, needs of, for those same information and it has to be taken into consideration. I think uh, I agree with what Carl said. So it's more about we trying to protect the information and not just the information. Let me just put it uh, in a lighter way. We should ju they should just protect the trust we have in them mm. and not make us lose the trust. Because for me, having listened to what the EC chair said and what me said, book just said, I just feel like then it is not even right for me to register the next time mm. just to protect myself. Mm. So I think let them maintain the trust we have in them. The trust seems to be at the core of, of everything else. Gentlemen, thank you so much um, for making time to join us on the show. It's unfortunate we don't have too much time. But um, it's, I do hope that it's been a worthwhile education session for you doing the listening at home. Um, we heard from Mike Perry Atara, who is a software engineer with Walulel. Um, we have also been hearing from Carl Saki, who is a president of Isaka Ghana. Now, Isaka is an international professional association focused on IT governance. And so that's why he was relevant for this conversation. We also spoke a few minutes ago with Patricia Edusei-Poku, who is the executive director of the, of the Data Protection Commission right here in Ghana. And then earlier, we had a legal perspective to the conversation with Kofi Owusu Inshira. I hope all of these perspectives will basically guide you in terms of understanding from a technology point of view what exactly happened and um, what is going on so you are better informed in your decision making in the future and sort of in, in inter interrogating what the you know information out there is you are better informed um, or in a better position to to question. Uh, my name is Philip Sean. It's been an amazing show. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. The show will be available as a podcast first thing tomorrow. So please look out for the podcast. Take, a, take another listen, share it with a friend, and make sure you understand what exactly is going on. We have about so a week or two weeks to the election. So um, let's keep the peace and let's stay happy and 
you know. Anyway, gentlemen, thank you so much. A big thank you to the production team as well. But then, um, till next week, stay techy.